Has there ever been a more important time to be surrounded by wise people? I mean, how do we help Menlo get back into the game in a world that is so very different? How do we respond as brothers and sisters in faith to a nation that's more divided since the Civil War? And instead of chasing headlines or having one box for spiritual stuff and one for real life, How do we act as though we believe that there really is a God in this universe who wants to speak to us about our lives and help us to listen better? That's wisdom. We have spent the entire summer so far talking about the book of Proverbs, which says in the end that there are only three kinds of people. First, there are the the fools who don't know their right hand from their left hand. Then second, the Bible says that there are the evil. They don't look wicked, but they know the difference between what's right and what's wrong, and they choose to either do the evil or allow it to happen. And then the writer of Proverbs offers the promise that there are the wise. In the end, you are becoming one of those kinds of people wise or foolish or evil. And we have said this summer that wisdom is the ability to discern and execute better decisions. Decisions are important. So let me ask you today, how wise are you? Let's start this way. How many of you have ever thought about something and made a mistake doing the other thing anyway? How many of you are sitting next to somebody who is seriously deluded because they didn't just raise their hand? We make decisions that are mistakes and they have consequences. The wrong answer on a test gets us into a different class. A mistake in a relationship breaks somebody's heart. We buy the wrong house or sell at the wrong time. We take the wrong job or we lose the perfect job. We get a tattoo that we can't get rid of. Different parts of our body get pierced. And we live with these choices for a long, long time. I'm sure that the latest hair-growing treatment will work. And we all make mistakes. And those mistakes have consequences. So how do we make better decisions together? Let me offer you this morning what I believe is a biblical model of how the wise make better decisions. There was a a port on the coast of Italy that had a winding snake-like river access to it, perfect for shipwrecks, until the city fathers lit four torches at night to guide ships off of the rocks. But they told the sailors that it was only when all four of the torches were aligned, that you knew that you were coming the right way. And so they put them in a row. The the first of the torches was the circumstances that you find yourself in, the gifts God has brought into your life. I'm 68 years old. I never could jump more than 13 inches high. It is not God's will that I should become Steph Curry's go-to guy in the NBA. Circumstances and gifts have made that clear. Sometimes circumstances tell you how to make a good choice. The the second torch needs to line up with the first. 
It's not about your gifts or circumstances. It's about how God's word speaks to you. Mark Twain once said, you know, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that get me in trouble. It's the parts that I do understand. And those of us who believe that God gives wisdom through the scriptures, look to the Bible so that we can understand God's guidance. The word provides a lamp unto our feet, a path. Often the Bible has already spoken to a decision that we need to make, and we just need to come in conformity. The the third of the torches that line up uh, on the shore is the counsel of other people. One way that we get in trouble is that we try to do life all by ourselves. Finding God's will involves coming together as a people and listening to others whom we trust who bring different perspectives, letting God speak through different ones of us. And that lines up to the last torch. This is the quiet, still voice of God's Holy Spirit. We believe that God speaks to us through circumstances and through Scripture and through other people, but also God speaks to us internally. The challenge for that is that so often that tiny little voice is me asking God to bless my plans instead of finding God's will. And so that's why these torches need to line up. Today, I want to look at the third of the torches. Wise counsel from other people. And I want to tell you that I believe this is of life and death importance. You cannot make the best decisions in your life alone, period. God did not design human beings to live that way. The book of Proverbs in chapter 11 says, for lack of guidance, a nation falls. But victory is won through many advisors. And then in chapter 24, he says, those who are wise rescue the ones being led away to death. They hold back people staggering toward the slaughter. Sometimes the counsel of others is literally the difference between life and death. So let me ask you, are you surrounded by wise counsel? Could you be one of those people yourself? It's such a basic, simple rule for wisdom, and yet often in our hyper-individual society, it's what I feel myself that counts. Even in the American church, where people who do not look for counsel so much as we look for people that'll agree with us. But wisdom is listening to people who are neutral toward the answer and don't have your answer in mind before you begin the conversation. I had an example of this early. I I started to follow Jesus just as I went away to college. I'd already committed to going to a, a state school and I happened to walk on to the football team and through a combination of other people dropping out of school or failing or getting hurt, I went from being uh, the number 27 wide receiver to being number two and starting the last two games of my freshman year. It was the highlight of my academic career and my athletic career, by the way. I felt great. I knew the coach had finally noticed me because he spelled my name right. He started calling me Crosby instead of Cosby. Well, this coach was determined to take us from NAIA Division I to Division I big-time football. One of the things that he did was to make all the defensive backs and receivers play badminton with him all through the year. You laugh, but badminton's a phenomenal game. 
great hand-eye, incredible endurance, and he was a terrific badminton player. So he had all of us playing with him, and said, I'm in the middle of the dead of winter in Illinois. The end of January, just one-on-one, we're the only people in the whole gym, it's 10 o'clock at night, he let me into the gym because it was the only time he could play. And life was good, I whipped him bad. And we sit down between games and he's gasping. I say, you doing okay, coach? Crosby, I want to talk to you about next year. And I go, yes, scholarship. Crosby, I got to tell you, you're never going to start another game as long as I'm coach. This was not how I had seen the conversation going. Crosby, you're too small. You're, you're too slow. You don't really like to hit people. You can catch the ball, but you'll never get the ball. And those are my strengths. Crosby, he said, what you really ought to do is transfer to a small school and get a real education. You're just coasting here. You're not going to get an education. Football is a job here. I could keep you on the squad all four years, but Crosby, you're never going to play again. Hey, you ready for another game of badminton? Well, no thanks, coach. Four days later, I, I applied to a couple small schools, and I ended up at Wheaton College, and And I grew there as a Christian. I did not graduate summa cum laude because I transferred to a school where I was in the middle of the pack and I was lucky to graduate soon cum laude. And yet I developed the ability to think as a gift from a wise counselor who said a hard thing at the right time. That's counseling. And it cannot happen without humility. What do you need to receive wise counsel? I think humility. Not humiliation, but humility. Why isn't seeking wisdom the norm for us? Other people avoid seeking counsel. Not you, of course. Which one seems to fit most of the people you know? First, I believe most people don't seek counsel because they presume that they're right already. They know the situation better. They're smart and too proud to ask for help. Anybody know someone too proud to ask for help? Just just raise your hand. Adam talked about that two weeks ago. He said, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Proverbs 14. Do you know a person wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for them. More hope for an idiot than for people who say, I'm right, I don't need to ask. I think the second reason people don't ask is because we're afraid of what the answer will be and we don't want to hear the negative. We hate criticism. They've never heard the verse, fools find no pleasure in understanding what others think, but they delight in airing their own opinions. That dialogue with other opinions can make us realize we're wrong. And the third reason most of us don't seek counsel is, well, frankly, it takes too long. We're a microwave people. We're impatient. We're Instagram. And wisdom takes time. Proverbs again. Whoever is patient has great understanding. But the quick-tempered one displays folly. Or the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And we are a hasty people. I think the last reason some don't ask for counsel is because they're already committed to the way that they're going. And you've started down the road, and it'd be too humbling to turn back. 
Proverbs 6 talks about somebody who's made a bad loan to a person. And it says, my son, if you've been trapped by what you said, doing the loan, ensnared by the words of your mouth, go and humble yourself to get yourself free. Do you recognize anybody in those four characteristics? More important, do you, do you see yourself? They is us. We is you. We always think we're right. We don't like to hear the negative. We're too impatient, and it's hard to turn around and reverse course. There's a joke that says men never ask directions. It's not a joke. It's a law of nature. But in life, not asking directions is no joke. What you need most for good counsel, for wisdom, is humility. The recognition we are not in control of the world, that we don't know everything, and that we need help is one of the first marks of wisdom. The humility to admit that you need help. I, I believe Proverbs says that, um, that finding the right counselor is just as important because the world is filled with people and sayings that want to give advice. Everybody has an opinion, right? They say, uh, when everything is coming your way, you're probably in the wrong lane. Okay. Always keep your words soft and sweet in case you have to eat them. Now, that's not my favorite. How about never put both feet in your mouth at the same time because you won't have a leg to stand on? I laugh at those, but I, I, I need wisdom, not, not fortune cookies. Uh, who remembers the author of the book of Proverbs? Right, King Solomon, wisest person in the world. Who remembers King Solomon's father? King David, the great king. Who remembers the name of King Solomon's son? Nobody. That's my point. The wisest man in the world produced children who were not wise because they picked the wrong counselors. Listen to the story. It's in 1 Kings, it's chapter 12. The son of Solomon is Rehoboam. And it said, after Solomon died, Rehoboam went to Shechem. And all Israel assembled to make him king. The people said to Rehoboam, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and we'll serve you. Rehoboam said, go away for three days and then come back. And the king consulted the elders who had served Solomon and said, how would you advise me? And the counselors replied, if today you'll be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they'll always be your servants. In other words, you'll own them if you're wise. But Rehoboam rejected their advice and consulted the young men who'd grown up with him, and he asked, what's your advice? How should we answer these people who say, lighten the yoke? His young friend said, tell them my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father had a heavy yoke, mine's even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I'll scourge you with scorpions. In other words, you ain't seen nothing yet. Three days later, when the people returned, the king followed the advice of the young men. He said, heavy load? You ain't seen nothing yet. When the people saw that the king refused to listen, they said, what share do we have with David? What part in Jesse? Go to your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. In other words, we're out of here. We're leaving. 
So the Israelites went home. And the king was left with only one tribe, Judah. The king had to get into his chariot and escape back to Jerusalem. And Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. All advice is not good advice. Pick your counselors wisely because actions have consequences. Proverbs not only says get good counsel, it shows how to get it. The first and foremost mark of someone that you want giving you advice is that they have a life you want as well as words that you need. In other words, they're not talking about it, they're living it. So if Warren Buffett were a street person, it'd be highly unlikely anybody would come to him for financial advice. It's what he's done that validates his advice. The mark of a good counselor is the life they live and the fact that they'll live that life with you. I read books all the time. I I love the great conferences. I'm I'm a freak about listening to wise people, but that's different than counsel. Counsel comes when somebody like that knows me. There's a relationship. The first church I ever joined after I started following Jesus was several years after I became a Christian. I didn't have much room for the church. Uh, But I graduated from college, and I was out in Colorado, and literally I stumbled into the First Presbyterian Church of Boulder because somebody said, you need to hear this guy. Well, this guy was Dr. Bob Erder. A little bit of a 1960s hippie. He was a double PhD, and he would quote the Rolling Stones and Shakespeare. They were young back then in the same sentence. More than that, Dr. Bob knew the Bible backwards and forward. More than that, Dr. Bob loved the poor. More than that, Dr. Bob loved Jesus in a way that I wanted to love Jesus. This is Totally why I'm a Presbyterian. For two years, I sat in worship and learned to love Presbyterian worship. I I, I learned to love the great hymns and the organ. I learned that God's word could change lives. And at the end of that time, I needed to decide whether to go back to law school or or to seminary. I'd, I'd applied to law school and been accepted in seminaries. I went to Pastor Bob and said, could we have a cup of coffee? And he said, let's meet at the good earth. And we went to the good earth about 7.30 in the morning and stayed there till almost 10. He said, tell me what you have. And then he listened. And he listened. And then he gave advice. He said, John, law school or seminary is a big choice. I got to tell you, I know you. I have two brothers that I make jokes about. They're wonderful attorneys. They do great work. They, They bring justice. But Bob said to me, you go to law school and you'll become a great attorney. You'll make all kinds of money. You'll do fine. You'll be a strong Christian. You'll help your church, but you will never go to seminary because you like money too much. I I didn't really care for that part of the conversation. He said, you like being in charge too much. I didn't like that at all. And then Bob said, but if you go to seminary and it doesn't work out, it'll make you a better lawyer and you'll be a better follower of Jesus. 43 years ago this month, Bob Erder gave me counsel that changed my life because he lived the kind of life that validated his words, and he knew me. Choose a counselor like that. When you look for that counselor, look for somebody who listens. They listen first, and they listen hard. They don't prescribe before they listen to diagnose. In the same way, 
when you look for counsel, find somebody who will speak tough love. Good counselors have the willingness to speak hard truth instead of just confirming my bias. Laura and I had been at our last church, Christ Presbyterian, for about 20 years, and we went through a rough patch. Not, not publicly, but, but we were thinking it was probably time to leave because there was a lot of pain involved. And so we went down to Florida, and while we were there, we called two people who are mentors. They've given us great advice through our whole marriage. Um, and I went through it all in front of uh, Gordon and Gail McDonald, uh, authors. He was the head of InterVarsity up a pastor who wrecked his ministry and then had God restore it, I will tell you that I led him down the road. But I said, and then this happened, and this happened, and, and don't you think we need to do that? And don't you think this is the only course that's open to us? And then there's a long pause at the end of the conversation. And Gail, who's the wise one, spoke up for both of them and said, John, we love you both, but we think this could be the biggest mistake of your life you'd be leaving for the wrong reasons. And people who leave for the wrong reasons arrive with the wrong reasons. You need to stay and see what God wants to do at Christ Presbyterian and then see if God wants you to do something else. I, I, I was like, what, would you put Gordon on the phone? I needed to hear that. I didn't want to hear it. Tough love is rooted in the priority of the kingdom of heaven and the scriptures. The psalmist says, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. Make sure your counselor knows how God speaks. Last, if you want good counsel, get more than one. Whenever possible, get more than one voice speaking into you because in the end, while you listen, it's our responsibility to make the right decision, not theirs. It's we who will be judged, not them. God offers us wisdom through them, but not necessarily through their answers. I'd like us to change this from knowledge to wisdom. Let me leave you with three questions. And to keep it between just you and God, why don't you close your eyes, whether you are at home or here in the, in the sanctuary, why don't you close your eyes for just a minute. Let's close our eyes together. First, do you have a wise person or wise people that you trust to give you their best advice? If you have that kind of person, when they come to mind, just, just raise your hand. Would you just raise your hand? About half of you, that's, that's great. Those of you who just raise your hand, your task is to thank them. Do not call them, do not send an email, write them a note, Thank them for the influence they've had on your life so far. Second, how many of you have asked for wisdom in the last six months in ways that changed a decision you were going to make, that changed what you were going to do? Would you please raise your hands? About a third. Bless you. Third, based on the admonition of God to us all, what should you be asking someone else for wisdom about today? Can you think of something for which you need godly advice? If something like that comes to mind, would you join me in prayer? God of wisdom, I thank you that you have made us different and put us into one body. 
and that you have surrounded us with people who have wisdom, who will listen before they advise. And I ask you to bless us with the humility to turn around and the courage to act upon the wisdom that you offer us each day in so many different voices. Speak to us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.